If you all have a copy of the scriptures, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans. We're going to jump back in after a break for the summer where we went through the life of Abraham. We're getting back into Romans and we'll um, this morning be looking at the last chunk of chapter 7. So we're going to read verses 7 through 25. So if you have a Bible and want to turn there, feel free to do that. I'm going to refer to those verses quite a bit. Um, if you're visiting with us and just brand new, we, we bought a bunch of these little journaling Bibles and they're free and it's just the book of Romans. They're in the lobby. So if you're a note taker and like to have something, this is for you. So feel free to grab one on your way out in one of the, on one of the floating shelves. Um, they're for you to take and to use. Um, hopefully they'll help you. Before I read, I want to say a couple other things. Um, Let's see, one is, I want to give you a little health update on how I'm doing. Um, so for those of you that may be visiting for the first time, uh, let me give you a context for what I'm about to uh, briefly say. Um, I've had colon cancer that spread to my lung. I've had two surgeries in the past 12 months, and I'm currently going through chemo. So that's background of what I'm about to say. Um, thank you all for praying. Um, I really appreciate you praying for me. I had a really good week. Um, felt great this week. Um, my sleep was kind of messed up, but in a good way that I can explain to you if you ask me. But I've had a really good week. I've had a lot of energy this week. It's been really good. God was very gracious, and I'm very thankful. So thank you for praying. Um, I start chemo again tomorrow. And so the next three weeks, I'll do the, my next dosages, if you will. So if you want to pray for that, please do. That's my update. All right, second thing. As we get back into Romans, and in particular as we look at Romans 7, I want you to know something about this chapter. Um, I am intentionally avoiding all of the academic discussions and debates about chapter 7. All right? This is what Paul's doing in chapter 7. He's answering three questions. Is the law good? Does the law kill me? Does the law save me? And he answers no to all of them. No, the law, the law is not evil. It's not bad. It's good. Sorry, I said, is the, law, is the law bad? It's not. He says no to all three. But I'm not going to get into all the academic discussions. If you want to get into that with me, I'd be happy to engage. If I were to teach or write a textbook about this book, I would do so, this chapter, I would do something completely different in a different way than what I'm going to do this morning. Got me? Because I don't want you to be thinking about what I'm saying through an academic lens. I want you to understand how experientially amazing this chapter is. And I want, to, I, want you to, I want you to prepare to think about what Paul is saying through his own experience. It's pretty amazing. So let's see. With that said, let's jump in. Romans 7. Listen to this. Verse 7 through 25. This is God's word. You can bank your entire life on it. It's true. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what is, it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy 
And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin. Producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not know what I, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Extraordinary words. And I read them kind of fast, perhaps, but I bet some, some phrase in there stuck you a little bit maybe resonated with you a little bit. Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Lord, we thank you that your word, uh, your word's how you speak to us. Thank you for speaking to us. During these next few minutes, would you give us the joy that comes from change? Would you... Would you give us the joy that comes from understanding ourselves more clearly? Would you give us the joy that can only come from Jesus? Holy Spirit, make Jesus irresistible to us anew, afresh, again. Keep bringing us to him. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Reading the book of Romans is like being on a journey. So as we go through this book, you've got to remember, we are deep into a journey. It's not that you just read the book of Romans and get these maxims. Uh, the book of Romans is meant to be uh, a slog. The book of Romans is, is, is meant to stretch you and stretch me. So I don't care if you've grown up in the church your whole life. If you have never read the book of Romans, read it. And if Romans doesn't match up with what you have been taught, let me tell you, the problem isn't with Romans. I told you this is what happened to my dad. My dad read the book of Romans after being out of seminary, and he was like, I don't like this. This is not what I was taught. Romans is meant to stretch you. Romans is meant to stretch us. It's meant to focus our minds and our hearts on Jesus in a profound way. And what that means in our lives is this, that as we study Romans together, we are going to have to face our greatest fears. Like today, 
What are you going to do when you find out that this war that's going on inside of you is a lot deeper than what you want to admit? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when you come face to face with the reality that you can't fix yourself? What are you going to do when you come to grips with the reality that you are not enough? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, remember, Paul is kind of answering these questions. Is the law bad? Um, Did the law kill me? Will the law save me? No, no, and no. But as I read this to you, do you realize how vulnerable Paul is being? He is opening himself up. And he's saying, let me show you what happened in my own heart. He is inviting us in to his experiencing the gospel. He is inviting us in to experiencing what it is like to connect to Jesus, to abide in Jesus, to step into Jesus. He is showing us, he is inviting us, he is saying, come on, let me show you about, let me tell you about my own life. So we're going to follow him. And there are two things in these verses that I want to show you. I want to show you this. 7 through 13, verses 7 through 13. No one is so bad that they're beyond the reach of Jesus. 14 through 25. No one's so good that they aren't in constant need of Jesus. That's where we're going. No one's so bad that they're beyond the reach of Jesus. 7 through 13. So let's jump in. Look at verse 7 and 8. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you should not covet. Verse 8, sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Paul's talking about his own life. That means that there are all kinds of other passages in the Scripture that Paul's thinking about, his story that we have recorded in other places. You see, Paul grew up knowing the Bible. So when he says in verse 7, um, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. He knew the commandment. When he says I didn't, I didn't understand, he's not meaning I didn't know it. Remember, this dude was raised in a diehard church-going family. Like there are laws that God has, like, you know, if you're a male, you have to be circumcised. On the eighth day, Paul would say, that was me. My parents didn't do it on day seven. They didn't do it on day nine. I got it on the eighth day. As he grew up, he became more and more of a Pharisee, which meant he knew God's word inside and out. So what does he mean when he says this? What he means is, I knew the commandment, but that commandment and the commandments of God had never gotten to my heart. The commandments are what I followed and what I knew with my outward life. But they had never gotten inside. 
They had never gotten down into my heart. My heart was completely ignorant of what God wants and what God says. But I thought I was good. Paul was the guy that considered his whole life to be given to God. And then he met followers of Jesus. And you know what happened when he met followers of Jesus? They bothered him. Matter of fact, they disturbed him. Matter of fact, he started getting to the point where he didn't like them at all. And it was a strange thing. Those who were following Jesus lived in such a way that it actually started doing crazy things to Paul on the inside that ultimately led to him doing horrible things to those people on the outside. What I mean is, when he saw followers of Christ, he wasn't just disturbed and um, bothered by them, but he actually got to the point in which he pursued them to arrest them, to try to get them to say that they don't believe what they believe, he was even present as one follower of Jesus was murdered. And he completely agreed with that guy being stoned to death. In other words, the ultimate example that I have for you, that the Bible gives us, that this guy Paul um, was really bothered by followers of Jesus, is this guy named Stephen. This is who Stephen was. In the first century, he was known as a guy that loved the Lord and he loved to serve people. Like all the time, like daily. He was caring for the needy and the poor all of the time. He knew God, he was known by God, and he was known as someone who served other people. That was his life. And one day, Stephen delivered this incredible message in which he talked about the Old Testament. The stuff that Paul had been taught from as far back as he can remember. Except, when Stephen was talking about the Old Testament, he was showing how Jesus, the Messiah, was the point of all the Old Testament. And you, knew what, you know what Paul thought. And Paul's thinking, and Paul's thinking the point of the Old Testament is the Jewish people. The point of the Old Testament is the land that they were promised. And what we're supposed to be doing as those that love God is concerned about the Jewish people and the land and getting political power. That's what he thought the Old Testament was about. That's what he thought it meant to honor God. Sidebar, you ever heard that message in the church today? Old Testament about Jewish people, the land, gaining political power. That's what Paul thought before he was converted. Now he calls us the Israel of God, the church. Because Stephen, to go back to him, was saying there's only one true Jew. His name is Jesus. The land that God's promised, oh, in Jesus, you get the whole world. 
Political power, ain't nothing can take down the church. No king, no disease, no war, nothing can stop God's kingdom. Paul's like, I don't kill this guy. He doesn't care about the Jews. He doesn't care about the land. Paul was so angry that he consented to Stephen's death. And as Stephen was dying, he looked up and he knew that he was going to Jesus. And you know what Paul knew? I don't have that kind of peace. I don't have that relationship with God. How can this guy be so enamored with Jesus and how in the world can he continue to endure rocks being thrown at him that ultimately killed him and he could endure such suffering knowing that he was going to Jesus? Paul had no inward peace. You see, outside, he looked good. Paul was clinging to how he was living his life. And he was outwardly good, but inside, he was empty. Does that resonate at all with you? Inside. He was so empty inside and so confused and deceived that he started projecting on other people what wasn't true. He was so deceived, he didn't know himself or, the world, or understand the world that he was living in. He didn't even understand the Bible, which he had been taught from an early, the earliest age. He got it all wrong and he thought he was right. He thought his whole life was being given to God and yet he was empty. And just below the surface, he was angry. He was frustrated. His life was full of comparing himself to other people. You can read about this in other parts of the New Testament. I, he, Paul would say before Jesus, man, I moved and excelled beyond everybody. He lived a life of comparing himself to others. Does that resonate with us at all? He was bankrupt internally, but he thought he was good. And people would say he was living a good life. But man, was he angry and hostile toward other people. It wasn't love. It wasn't peace inside. He was just empty. Well, that leads us right to verse 13. So was it the law that killed Paul? No. No. Look at what he says. It was sin. That's what killed me. Sin produced death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. No, the law is good. 
But what happens inside is that sin takes the law and perverts it and twists it and it works absolute death in me. So here I was, angry, empty, all messed up inside. This dark passenger that we all have inside of us, this sin, this inherent rebellion against God, this inherent darkness that makes us want to live for self and serve self. Paul's like, there's nothing wrong with the law. It was me. It was sin inside messing everything up. Friends, no one is so bad they're beyond the reach of Jesus. Verse 7 through 13 are all in the past tense. Paul's talking about, this is who I was, thinking I was awesome. And then I realized I wasn't. But also know that no one's so good that they aren't in constant need of Jesus. I mean, listen to these phrases. Follow me if you have your scriptures. Let's pick out some of these phrases. Listen, listen to some of the things he says about his own life now, because 14 through 25 are present tense. Verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. Verse 15, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse 19, the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Verse 21, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Verse 22, there's another law waging war against the law of my mind. Does, does any of that sound familiar to you? I mean, let's just go back through it and think about our lives for a minute, if you will. If you're willing to do that. I do not understand my own actions. After something happens in your life, do you ever reflect back and think, hmm, why did I instinctively in that moment get so jealous of that person? Why am I so defensive? Why in that moment did I feel like I had to one-up them? Why? Why, why, why do I feel like I have to be right all the time? You ever, am I the only one? Look at verse 15 again. For I do not do what I want. Does that sound familiar? You ever reflect back on your relationships and think to yourself, oh, I'm stuck again. I commit to things that I don't want. I have a really hard time saying no. I have a hard time saying yes. Does that make sense of your own life? I do not do what I want. Do you ever find yourself upon further reflection realizing that you get stuck in things? Or, or at the end of verse 15, I do the very thing I hate, and that coincides with 19. The evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Yeah. You ever find yourself falling into sinful patterns? Find it easy to lust. This is talking about those things in our lives that we do that instantly produce guilt and shame. Do you have any shame in your life? 
Is this a shame-free room? Guilt-free, like you had no guilt this past week at all. It was just, everything was Gucci, everything was just great. Hmm. Did you see how personal Paul is being? How vulnerable? How honest he's being about his own life? How about 21? When I want to do the right, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Oh, do you you ever reflect on the good things that you do in your life? You're like, well, man, that was a good thing I did today. Give myself credit for that one. you You ever wrestle with taking credit for things? Or how about I need to do this or say this here because if I do this or say this in this moment, this person will see me and they'll look at me differently. They'll approve of me. Paul's right there with us. That's what he's saying. He's saying, even when I do right things, I can see the temptation. I feel the temptation to take credit. I can see the temptation that why I really did what I did is because I wanted that person's approval, that person's recommendation. So I really didn't do the thing that was good just because I should. I got an ulterior motive at work. Doesn't that make sense in verse 23? Another law waging war. You ever feel like you got a war going on inside of you? There's so much more than just do the right thing, do the wrong thing, do the right thing, do the wrong thing. There's so much more than that, isn't it? It's like why I do what I do. It's what after I do something I know I shouldn't do, I feel terrible. I've got all this shame and guilt. You ever been there? Well, here's what Paul does. You see, he's understanding his own life. He's inviting us to do the same, affirm the same things. But he's saying at rock bottom, let me tell you, I love God. Look at verse 22. But I delight in the law of God in the inner man. Now, my understanding is there's no other place where Paul uses this little phrase. And he's saying that in the deepest part of my being, I love God. He feels the tug and the pull. He feels the push. He feels the sense of I know what to do that's right. But I also know what it's like to feel the temptation to do wrong. And there are many times where I do things that I shouldn't do. But at the end of the day, deep, deep down at the core of my being, I love God. And I see that his commandments are good. It's how I was designed to live. So that if I look at the commandments, I actually see wholeness. I actually see the way that people can get along I actually see the way in which God has everything about who I am, my actions, my thoughts, my motives. I see that God owns all of me. And deep down, I love God. Friends, hear this. Paul is not saying that good and evil inside of us are equal. 
That's not what he's saying. Once you come to Jesus, good and evil are not, they're not 50-50 in your life. He's not saying that good and evil are 50-50 in your life. He's not. He's also not saying that, you know what? If I just work a lot harder, I can get to that perfection thing. He's not naive about perfection either. And he's not minimizing that the grace of God is more powerful than the sin that's at work within us. He's accentuating that. He's saying God's grace is powerful in my life. It's why I love God. It's why I can tell you that I struggle. Sometimes I do what I know I shouldn't want to do. And I still want that. But I'm not happy about it. Because I know God loves me. You see, the war that's going on within us is very different with and without Jesus. Our lives without Jesus look like this. There's a war going on that is pretty much defined by the idea of winning. So, without Jesus, I'm thinking about my life in terms of wins and losses. I'm thinking about the fact I've got to win. I've got to do this. I've got to, do, I've got to win. If this says that this, if, if I read this, watch this, and it says this is what it means to live a good life and win, that's me. I've got to do it. But yet, the war that's going on within without Jesus feels an awful lot like you never win. Feels an awful, light, an awful lot like not winning now. The war that goes on within with Jesus, victory's won. The war's over. Jesus has paid it all. And the war that I feel is real. The temptations that I experience are real. I even do some of the same things that I did before Jesus. Real. But in Jesus, it's over. I don't have to try to win anymore. Jesus has won for me. He is my life. And because he's a savior, and because he dies for sinners, I get to say I'm a sinner. And I get to say, you know what? I'm not what God designed me to be, but I am willing to say it. I'm not perfect. Jesus is. My life is in him. That's why he ends this chapter talking about rescue. Who is going to rescue me? See that? It's right there in 24 and 25. Who's going to rescue me? And he doesn't say, I am. He doesn't say, I just need to work a little harder. He doesn't say, I just need to get a little bit more serious. He doesn't say, I just need to dig down a little bit more. He says, I will be rescued by Jesus. Jesus is his hope in the midst of the struggle. And that means if you're here this morning, and you find yourself in the struggle and you are beat down, and you're like, there's no way that God could forgive me or care for me. Jesus became sin, your sin. He didn't become a sinner. He became your sin.
doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how much shame that you have that is oppressive to you or guilt that is oppressive to you, Jesus became your sin so that you would become righteous before God. And it's by grace. And if you already know that, and you're dealing with their ongoing stuff, whatever it means for you to be on this side of the cross and this side of Jesus, do you realize the freedom that you have because of Jesus? Do you experience and have you experienced the grace of God like Paul is saying here? Can you, in your life, read through these phrases that Paul is saying, this is describing me now. Can you read through those phrases and say, Jesus frees me to admit that my desires aren't always pure. That there are things in my life that I do I know I shouldn't be doing, but I, by God's grace, I'm gonna fight against that. I'm willing to confess. I'm willing to acknowledge. I'm willing to stay living with Jesus. Do you realize that because of Jesus, you are free from the burden of guilt and shame, and you are free to pursue holiness? Means like you get to pursue becoming like Jesus. That's not bad, that's awesome. And like we heard a couple weeks ago, holiness isn't an absence. Holiness is a flood. Holiness is not staying away. Holiness is entering in. Holiness is not self-help. Holiness is Christ in me. Holiness is me loving what Jesus loves, having attitudes like Jesus's attitudes, having desires like Jesus, having his view of the world. That's holiness. That's, that's, what you get to, that's what we get to pursue, it's Jesus. Becoming like him. Well, do you know the grace of God in your life? Because the same grace that works in the Apostle Paul is what works in us. And friends, that's what brings us to the table.